Got a brand new sermon series we're going into. Uh, while we're getting prepared for that, I want to say hello to Elk River and Maple Grove and those watching online. We're in a brand new year. A lot has happened since last year. My dad turned 70. I'm like, come on, somebody. I mean, that's a big deal. That's like scriptural stuff, right? And uh, I keep telling my dad, I said, Dad, show me how to live when I get there. Don't give up now. Don't take the foot off the gas. Show me how to look. Because I mean, I plan on getting there someday, right? Should Jesus tarry. I want to follow him. Really proud of my dad. Happy birthday, dad. That's my happy birthday moment to my daddy. And, uh, and then, of course, you know, we're coming out of the holidays. And uh, I don't know about you, but I think I ate way too much over the holidays. And and it's time to get back to the person that God called me to be. <laughs> um, it's, it's, such a, it's, it's such a kind of a cool deal going into the new year, new opportunity, new promise, new hope. And so we're starting uh, new things. And one of the things at Emmanuel that we're going to do on all three of our campuses is that we believe in our mission. And our mission statement says that we're empowered to reach those away from God, to grow in faith, and to live a life of purpose. How many know a mission statement means nothing if you're not evaluating it and trying to do your best to do it better? And so for us as a church, one of the things we believe is if we're called to reach those away from God, how many know salvation's not the last moment? That the very next thing we're called to do is believe and be baptized. And uh, water baptism should be a normal part, a regular part of church life, not only for you and your story backward, but also for the friends that are coming to church. We need you to think about, you know what, it's time to take that next step of faith and obedience and go into water baptism. So now, in starting in 2018 here, we're going to have water baptisms once a month. And I'm so excited for each of our campuses. Whether we got anybody or not, we're going to plan on having it every single weekend. Today in Spring Lake Park, we're going to have our water baptisms after our 11 o'clock service in the main concourse, and uh, you're invited to drop by and see and witness the story of God's new creations happening over and over in people's lives. And so we're going to do that every week, every month, and uh, I want to encourage you. You might know somebody, they can't make it today, but maybe they can make next month's. And uh, there'll be lots of information online for you if you want to sign up for it. I want to encourage you to jump into it. All right, seize the day. We're starting this brand new series, and I came across a story of two hunters who, uh, who they're big-time game people, and they flew into Canada and got dropped in on one of those planes that lands on a lake, and uh, they got dropped in for seven days, and they were going hunting, and they got a moose. And, uh, and as, as they drug that thing back to the, the spot where the pilot was flying back in to pick him up, they, they, they looked at the pilot, he looked at them, and then he looked at the size of the moose, and he's like, I can take you two, but I can't take you guys and the moose. There's only enough room weight restriction-wise for me, the pilot, and the two hunters. And they looked at him, and they went, one of the guys said, come on, man. Last year, we got one of these, and the pilot, he got us out of here. And so the pilot's like, yeah, maybe I can. And wanted to outdo whoever this other pilot was. And so they load the moose up onto the plane and go to the far edge of the, the lake to try to get as much distance and speed as they can to get off the ground, off the water. And they, as they get moving, it's moving faster and faster. And sure enough, they get some lift to it. And they're like, here we go. And then all of a sudden, somewhere along the line on the trajectory up, they crashed. 
And as they crashed, there's the smoke everywhere, and they had got out of the lake area, but they had gone so, some distance, and they didn't know how far. And the two hunters had been unconscious, and they, they're on the ground, and they both start coming to, and one guy goes to the other, where do we land? And the other guy says, 50 feet further than last year. How many of you know that this year, hopefully, we make it more than 50 feet than last year, right? That somehow in our story, we go on the next step, the next level, that God does what he wants to do through our lives, that there's anticipation of more than just a repeat performance, that God has new things for your story. In fact, turn to the person next to you and say, he's got new things for you. And... uh, Part of our story means that we've got, to, we've got to deal with who we are. And many of us, we deal a lot with our past. We, we have past baggage. We, we are weighed down by our past. Even our recent history might stop us from dreaming. Or, you know, Paul, the apostle, has a lot in common with us. He murdered people and stuff before Jesus met him on the road to Damascus. And, and then he had a turnaround story where God used him to reach people and do miracles and signs and wonders. So he had both good and bad things in his past. But one of the things that he said in Philippians 3 is he said, no, dear brothers and sisters, I've not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. So no matter what was in the past, he said, I've got to choose forgetting. Everybody said forgetting. forgetting. Now forget, how many of you, sometimes we got to intentionally forget over and over again. And not, choosing not to embrace it, choosing not to carry it with us. And even if a memory comes up, we, we choose to put it underneath the cross. Leave it there and trust that Jesus, and you know, when you look over your shoulder, like the psalmist was able to say, uh, though I look back, I see nothing but goodness and mercy following me all the days of my life. And so you kind of go, I'm going to push that past. Even the worst of the worst, thank God, even though I was a crook, even though I was a bad person, whatever you have done, even though I've got bad memories or things have been done to me, thank God by his grace, he brought me to today. And then Paul was able to say, Forgetting those things, now I press, I turn around, I redirect my attention, and I look forward. And I know this, and it's true for all of us that are in here today, you can't live forward by looking back. And if we're going to live forward, then we've got to do our best to follow what he has for us. I want you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 1. This is the foundational text for our series. Genesis chapter 1. God has just created the heavens and the earth, the light. The sky, the sea, the birds, the animals, and this great creation moment. And then he turns to humans, to the people, and they were different than all of his other creation. And he specifically gives assignments for them. And I want you to hear me today when we're reading this. These were not assignments only for the first human beings, but they reflect the very heartbeat of God when he looks at you and me today. I want you to see a couple things that are found in here. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. In fact, read this out loud with me. You ready? Here we go. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And then God blessed them and said, 
Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and all the animals that scurry along the ground. This is an interesting language, but what I want you to catch here is that God started your story. Whatever happened with Adam and Eve next, God was the one that started them on that journey. He's the one that propelled them to go where they were going. And what he tells them to do, and by the way, he gave them their uniqueness. Male and female, he created them. It was God's design that they would be different from each other. It's okay to be different. It's okay to not be the same as everybody around you because God created you the way he wanted you to be. And he likes you, by the way. In fact, turn to the person next to you and say, he likes you. (laughs) All right. But then he gives the people a job description, okay? What he says is, and and he trusts the people to do this. This is actually the most important, kind of coolest moment of the whole text that I like. God actually trusted people with his stuff. I don't know about you, but um, I, I remember the very first time that my dad let me drive his car. (laughs) you know I now know what he felt when each of my sons wanted to drive my car the trust level you're doing something with a vehicle that I pay for that that put expense into and effort I care about whatever you do I trust God trusted these people to do three things in here you'll see First one was, he said, be fruitful and multiply. Be fruitful and multiply. Be fruitful. Now, many people look at that and they think of procreation, which is true, and that is make babies, right? Somebody followed God's um, command so that you could come into the world. (laughs) So somebody kind of fulfilled that. But that's not all that God was doing. He's saying be fruitful and multiply. Multiplying meaning more than just make babies. It's I've given you creation. Now I want you to do something with it. Be fruitful with it. A good person will attend the plants. And how many of you have plants in your house? I'm curious. In Minnesota, this is an interesting... You have to nurture those things and take care of them, get them in the light and put water in. What happens if you don't? They die, right? And trees are that way. Uh, Rose bushes are that way. If you don't tend to them, they aren't fruitful. They don't produce anything. So he's telling them, not only am I giving you responsibility, but I want you to do something with what I give you. I want you to produce, pay attention to it, nurture it, allow it to become something. That's the fruitfulness piece. Then he says, fill the earth. Fill the earth. Fill the earth. Hmm. I don't know how many of you have gone out into like, National parks or uh, big expansive places. Anybody here ever been to the Grand Canyon? And you see this vast expanse of, of nature and mountains. And, and it's just overwhelming how big the earth is. I want you to think about being Adam and Eve. Two first human beings on a planet. And he says, I want you two to fill the earth. Okay? I want you to fill it. 
what he's saying is, I want you to go explore it, go there, and fill it up. We've got birds and animals and things in the sea that I've already planted. I want you to explore. I want you to shape. I want you to build. I want you to fill it out. I want this playground that I'm giving you, I want you to use it. I want you to go places with it. Now, this is what I want you to consider today. That all of us have been called to be fruitful and multiply, but there's something intrinsically in the soul of humanity that is meant to explore, to look for new horizons, to think about things in new ways. If you own a business here today, I want to challenge you to consider perhaps God wants you to think about your business or opening new avenues. That would be filling the earth. Perhaps God would want you in your, your family's story to go do things that's here that you've never done before. You know, one of the best things that families can do is have shared experiences. You know, you can spend all your money on your house or you can go have shared vacations together, shared experiences together. Um, over time, Jody and I have had the privilege of going to different places with our kids and, uh, and when we've gone and we can remember, you remember that time we went to LA as a family and it was cold <laughs> and we wanted it to be warm? Yeah, I remember that time. You remember when Jeff got sick and so-and-so, I think Josiah got sick on another trip. Yeah, I remember. And they actually remember more details than I do now. But the truth is, God wants you to explore new things in 2018 that he's meant for you to break out of the rut that you're in. We're in the middle of January. We've already been in the freezer. Hello. It's crazy when we get all excited about being up to 30 degrees today. It's like spring in Minnesota, right? <laughs> but he wants us to explore and to go into new territory. Perhaps the love that you have with your spouse, he wants you to explore new things not just repeat old years. There's new opportunity ahead of you. Can I get an amen? amen? There's opportunity to explore and to move and to fill. And then he says this. He says, I want you to govern it. I want you to reign over it. This language is a responsibility language. It's go, conquer, lead, yes, but then take care of it. Rule it. Have authority over it. Um, Nurture it, but take authority. Act like it's yours. Boss it up, okay? And that boss it up language is the language of the title of our series. The Carpe Diem, seize the day. To seize something is, is to take a hold of suddenly or forcibly, to grasp it, to capture what is possible. And God says to Adam and Eve, I don't want you to apathetically observe these things that I've given you and just wait for things to happen on their own. I want you to grab a hold of it. I want you to own it. I want you to boss it up. I want you to be the one that feels the responsibility and the authority to make a change. Church, as we go into this series, the biggest thing that's in my spirit is to challenge the church 
to not sit back and just let life hit you in the face and act like it's just whatever happens, happens, but to recognize that God b- believes in you and trusts in you enough to, for you to seize the moment, to seize the day, to rule over it, to govern it, to go and look at your private life, to look at your marriage, to look at your finances, to look at your story, those things that you're responsible for, and say that in 2018, I'm not going to let it just happen. I am going to seize the day. I am going to be who God has designed me to be. I'm going to do what he's called me to do. Come on, somebody. Some of you in here are like, I don't know. I want you to know God created you for victory, for forward movement, to own your days, to accomplish your dreams. You're not meant to be the tail. You're meant to be the head. You're meant to be the one that leads. Own it. And some of you are like, well, I've, I've forfeited my right because I've screwed up. I've blown it before. I had dreams. I had goals in January. And I didn't accomplish them. So you kind of say, well, I'm not worthy enough to take the keys. I'm not, I'm not uh, honorable enough. I've forfeited my right to be able to seize the day. And I want you to know... Even in the middle of your worst defeat, there is hidden opportunity that God has put in your story. I want you to think about Eve. Just a couple chapters later, Eve fails. And she sins and she eats the fruit. She disobeyed God. And God begins to speak different pronouncements over Adam and Eve, but he also spoke to the serpent who tempted them and said, do God really say this? And God, in the middle of the defeat, the worst moment of human history, God speaks a prophetic word about what would happen with the babies and the lineage that Eve would have years later. In Genesis 3.15, it says, and I, God is speaking to Satan, I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. It's an interesting prophetic moment. It's really speaking of Jesus. How many of you know when Jesus showed up? How many of you know he defeated the enemy? He went into hell, snatched the keys of death, hell, and the grave, and he came back. He owned the moment. He seized the day, right? So it's prophetically projecting, but it's also saying something to Eve. Eve, yeah, you messed up, but I want you to know the battle's not over. It's not the end of the story. There is something that's coming out of your life that is going to change the world. And you are going to be a part of a story where the the foot goes on the head of the serpent. He's not going to like it, so he's going to strike the heel. He's going to try to cause pain. But how many know that when you put your head or your foot on the head of the serpent, he's going to die? You're going to be a part of the ultimate victory. So even though you've messed up, in the middle of the worst of the worst of your stories, there is hidden a prophecy hidden in your defeat. There is a prophecy hidden in your defeat. There's something new that's going to come out of it. And I love in Romans, the promise of New Testament Christians in Romans 16, 19, Paul says, but everyone knows that you are obedient to the Lord. That's, this makes me very happy. I want you to be wise in doing right and stay innocent of any wrong. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. May the grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. This is all I love, friends. 
Some of you messed up. You, fought, you gave too much to the enemy, and he's taken your life. He's robbed. He's stolen. He's killed. He's done what the thief does. But I want you to know, even if you're at the lowest of the low of the low, if you turn and you begin to do what is right, you begin to seek God, you turn and begin to follow him, the God of peace will soon crush Satan underneath your feet. Come on, somebody. There's victory right around the corner if you trust him. If you trust him. 2018 has opportunity that is right in front of us. Ephesians 5, Paul says, make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. So we have a favorable opportunity, an open door, if you will, an option, a window, a possibility in front of us. And we're encouraged to make the most of our opportunity to not just sit back and let it happen to us, but to take advantage of our moments. It's a matter of perspective, though. It's a matter of seeing the opportunity in what God has called us to do. This is how the psalmist talked about it as he was evaluating his own life. He said, so teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days. You know, he's saying, I've got days, but teach me to value my days, to make sense of it, to let eternal purposes enter my days. Help me not just fill my day up with a lot of busyness in my schedule, but let all of that stuff somehow equal God's eternal plan for my life. How many know there are a lot of mundane things that we are called to do? Things that we've got to, how many got to do the laundry, take a shower, pay the bills. There's lots of mundane things that we have to do. And many times the accumulation of all those things can amount to a purposeless life. And so the psalmist was saying, I want even the little details of my life somehow to matter so I value the whole day. And I don't lose a day. I don't miss my opportunity. I don't miss the point. Church, I want you to hear me. It's important for you, yes, to do a lot of things. Multitasking is just a part of our culture. But I want you to learn to think about your life in a whole context and to consider maybe, maybe I need to learn to let God help me value my whole day, to make sense out of it. A pastor received a note after a Sunday service, not this pastor, not at Emmanuel, but the note said this, Pastor, I would appreciate it if you prayed shorter prayers. Your pastoral prayer this past Sunday was 12 minutes, 43 seconds in length. Please strive for shorter prayers. Now, the note was unsigned, and the only thing we know about the person that wrote this, whether they're a man or a woman or a child, is that they were so bound up counting minutes that they lost sight of the whole day. They can tell time, but they missed the bigger picture. You hear what I'm saying today? During this series, we're going to look at God's word and see how it teaches us to seize the day with our life. God literally says that you can do everything through Christ who gives you strength, Philippians 4.13. You can own that thing in your life that's bothering you. You can seize your day. You can say no to sin. You can seize your day. You can multiply the skills of your business and make it fruitful and multiply. You can seize your day. You can, through Christ, do more 
to, to reach your friends who are away from him and seize the day. You can take control, self-control through the spirit. You can seize your day. But the question is, when you try to attempt out and seize your day, which voice are you going to listen to? Are you going to listen to that voice that says, I should do this? Because if you're out living out of the voice, oh, I, I know I really should lose weight. I really know that I should, I should do devotions. I know that I should love my spouse more. I know that I should put the phone down. I know the, all the shoulds, all those people that start their goals, their New Year's resolutions in January, they're done by the 21st of January because they were all shoulds. And when I speak out of a voice of should or listen to that voice, it's not a voice of identity. It's a voice that somebody else thinks I should. And I'm willing to let some other person down. I'm not willing to let myself down, so I push it off. The other voice is the I am voice. The I am voice says I'm a child of God. Adam and Eve, I'm a child of God. He trusts me. I am a son or I am a daughter. My identity is in him. He says I am a part of his family. Even though I don't feel like one, even though I've messed up, somehow he's brought me into his family. And that somehow when I come underneath the voice of heaven, he believes in me and I can do everything through him. So when I look at the challenge of seizing my day, I can say no to the calories, hello? When I have the voice in my head, I'm a child of God, I have responsibility to tend this, to make it fruitful and multiply, and because my Father trusts me, I can do it. I can step into those things because I am honoring the assignment from heaven for my life. When the daily details come up underneath the voice of the I am, we have a capacity to do what we could not do on our own. Can I get an amen? The I am voice. So many people listen to the voices of the past or what other people have said to them or the self-doubt or whatever it is. And I encourage you to redirect your thoughts back to your creator when you have any other thought than I can. Any other thought than I can do all things through Christ. It's coming from some other source. My identity is not in what my brother thinks I should do. My identity is not in comparison to anyone else. My identity is not based on some lie that was spoken to me by a parent in the past. My identity is rooted in the truth, the way, the truth, and the life, who Jesus says I am, and I can do all things through Christ who gives me the strength. Otherwise, we become victims because we're listening to the wrong source. Cain, Adam and Eve's son, had a choice of which voice that he would listen to, and he got caught up in the voice of comparison. He was mad because God had accepted his brother's offering and not his own, even though God had told him, if you do this thing, I'll accept it. And in Genesis 4, 6, God says to Cain, you will be accepted if you do what is right, but if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you. But you must subdue it and be its master. Now this is a little pivot of the message today. 
because what you see in Cain is you see a frustrated person about the state of life that he's in. Cain wants a different result with his life. And God says to him, listen, Cain, that result I will give you if you do it what I'm asking you to do. But Cain is so consumed with not listening to that voice, all he can do is compare himself to his brother. The comparison and bitterness and lack of forgiveness and whatever else is running through his brain so controls him that he becomes a victim to the master, a slave to the master that was not God. And that voice was calling out to him. And God says, listen, if you do what I tell you to do, it'll go right. And if not, that other voice is calling out to you and it wants to seize your day. It wants your, how many know the devil wants your days? The enemy wants to rob you and kill you and destroy you. He wants to wipe you out. And just like Cain, we have a choice of which voice we will listen to. Which storyline are we going to have? And God says this, listen, listen, Cain, I'm not going to do it for you. You must master it. You must Take a hold of it. And whatever list you have of things that you know that God would have you change this year, I want you to know that God is going to look at you and he's going to say, this is your time to get under control. It's your time to boss the situation up. It's your time to stop giving an excuse for why you're drinking and getting drunk all the time. It's your time to say, you know what, I'm going to start loving my spouse and not speak out of my anger anymore. I'm going to go to a counselor and get things dealt with. Whatever it is, God is going to look at us and he's going to say, if you've got issues that you need to deal with, then I want you to subdue it and I want you to master it. This is your time to seize the day. Don't let it own you. Don't let it control you. So how do we seize the day? Here's the irony of the moment. I'm not going to give you a big long list of eight ways for you to somehow get your life under control, how to muscle up and how to take protein so that you can bulk up to to conquer your challenge. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take you back to the very one sentence that Jesus said that is the starting point for any change, every change that will come in your life. Literally everything begins with this one statement, Matthew 6.33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Read that out loud with me. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things. All that stuff you're trying to get right, all the list of things that you need to change, all the things that you need to seize the day with, don't start with trying to get it, get your list together and, and will power together to, to try to make change. You know what you need to do? You need to go back to the creator, seek him, and all of a sudden you're going to find the more you follow him, the more your your family relationships get straightened out. The more that dysfunction that was handed to you from their family of origin and your parents and their anger that you you see yourself doing, now all of a sudden you're following Jesus. He slowly takes that out of your life, and then the builder of the house builds it. In fact, the scripture says if, if, if we don't let the builder of the house be the Lord, then it's all in vain. We want him to build it. So if we follow him, he figures out how to help us 
Somehow, he takes all those things. He makes me a better husband. He makes me a better wife. He makes me a better parent. He makes me a better worker. He gives me ability and wisdom that I could not have in any other place. More than the New York Times bestseller list, some kind of big TED Talk, I need to go to the kingdom of God first. And if I learn to go to the kingdom of God first, somehow all these things become simplified. And he gives me all those other things. And all I did is bow my knee before heaven and seek him first. Seek first, seek first, seek first, seek first. Turn to the person next to you and say, the first thing you need to do is seek him first. <laughs> ah. Before you boss it up, before you change your habits, before you set big goals, before you attempt to lose 50 pounds, before you give up on a restored friendship, before you fulfill crushing Satan under your feet, seek first the kingdom of God. Look to the one who made you first. Look first to the one who gave you responsibilities to rule and to lead. Look first to your creator. I dare you. To look at his word. Some of you go on, how many want a word from God this year? Then open the Bible up. Every day you will get a word from God. You seek him first. And even in a practical way, how do you seek him every day? You know how you can seek him every day? By making steps to make it sure or it happens at the beginning of the day. Open your Bible up. Read one scripture, one chapter. You need a Bible plan, you don't know where to start reading, go to YouVersion. Get the YouVersion Bible app. There's all kinds of plans. It'll prompt you every day to read it. If you get behind, you can catch up. You don't like to read and you're dyslexic, you can listen to it talk to you. you the Bible is it's amazing, all the tools that are available, but seek him first. How do you seek him? Go to prayer. Pray daily. I've been saying this all along, but I'm saying it again to all of our church. Listen, go to prayer service at least once this month. Wednesday night, 7 o'clock. You're like, I'm too busy. I can't do it. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah, you can do everything else. You can seek everything else, but you can't seek him first. I double dog dare you. You're like, well, I don't know. If it, how's the worship? How's the sound? What's it like? And you want to come to rate the service? You can go to any service. There's services all over the place. You can go online and watch services now. We don't come to prayer service so we can rate the performance. We come to prayer service to meet with God. And there we can pour out our soul before him. There we talk to God about our kids that we're worried about. All those things that are filling our mind with anxiety, we bring it before him. We cast our cares on him. And he takes care of us. And the God of peace that passes understanding guards our hearts and our minds. Seek him as your provider. You know, people don't like to push the button and talk about money. But you know what? Wherever your treasure is, there is your heart. And if you want to seek him, take the step of faith and start tithing. What's a tithe? 10%. First 10%, give it to God. You're like, that's a lot of money. It's a percentage. And whatever you do with the percentage you have, God determines what he'll give you later on. 
He's not going to give you a million dollars if you're not taking the 10 you have and giving them the one. I'll let that be another message. (laughs) Worship him. If you want to seek him, worship him. This is what I'm saying, church. Every time we gather together, let's not just come to church. Let's seize the day. Let's make the most out of the hour we have together to give him everything in our worship. Let's do everything we can when we pray to truly pray through. When you're listening to the word, don't just zone out and wait for whatever is for lunch. Maybe you could actually read the word and say, God, what are you doing in my life today? What are you speaking to me? And take notes or put them on your phone or whatever maybe. But to say, and when it comes to the altar call time, John's just going, when's he going to get done? That prayer is now five minutes and 32 seconds seconds, rating the pastor's prayer. What if you took that same amount of time where you're praying when he's given a salvation altar call, and you're praying for people you don't even know in the room, and you're, you're praying, God, would you move in their heart? This might be their only day that they're coming to church. Make the most of the time you have to seek him now. Come on, somebody. Make the most of it. Before you try to make things happen, you've got to seek him first. And don't underestimate the power of one moment, one day. Charles Francis Adams, grandson of President John Adams and son of President John Quincy Adams, served an illustrious career, Massachusetts state senator, a U.S. congressman, ambassador to Great Britain, and Abraham Lincoln. And he was also very conscientious about keeping a daily journal his stories, and he encouraged his kids to do the same thing. So his son, Henry Brooks, the fourth of his seven children, followed his advice and began journaling at a young age. And a particular entry written when Brooks was eight illustrates the power of seizing a moment, of seizing the day. And after a day spent with his dad, he sat down and he wrote, went fishing with my father today, the most glorious day of my life. The day was so glorious, in fact, that Brooks continued to talk and write about that particular day for the next 30 years. And after 30 years, Brooks thought to compare his journal entries with his father's. For that same day's entry, Charles had written, went fishing with my son, a day wasted. If we're going to seize the day, then we need an eternal perspective on things we get to hold backwards sometimes. It wasn't about going fishing. It was about a time between a son and a father. And the father was so consumed with his days that he missed the point of the value of his days and his moments. Church, we have an opportunity in 2018 to move into a new day if we value our days, humble ourselves before our creator, ask him to help us and seek him, then we will seize the day. Not by strategizing or being smarter than everybody else. No, we will seek first his kingdom and then all those other things will be added to us. And then we can look back 30 years from now and we can say, we did it. Not only did we do it, but other people came on the journey with us. Our spouses, our friends, our family, our moms, our dads, our grandparents, our neighbors. They had a great experience on the day because 
We weren't so self-consumed that we missed the moment. No, we squeezed everything we could out of each and every day. And the way we did it was by bowing our knee at the beginning of the day, saying, I choose to seek you first. Would you stand with me today?